Welcome to the Let's Think Show. Today, I'm excited. Uh, on the line, and for those of you watching the video, we have Keith Knight. How are you? Shepard, I'm doing fine. Thank you, sir, for having me. Oh, thank you for being on. I appreciate it. I, th I think we, uh, wh where are you from? I think we might have something a little bit in common. What state are you from? Uh, where do you I'm live? In, what do you do? I'm in Arizona. That is sort of where uh, Ernie Hancock used to live here. He really got the libertarian movement uh, people talking in Arizona. So I run into people like Larkin Rose, Adam Kokesh used to be in like the Flagstaff area. So that is uh, kind of the scene that uh, I came out of. I was able to meet those guys, learn about uh, things like self-ownership and the non-aggression principle, voluntary exchange, and holding government to the same standards we'd hold anyone else to. And uh, that is how I uh, sort of got into this thing from uh, being in Arizona. Wonderful. And uh, what's your occupation? Are you a student? What's, uh, what's your position in life, station in life? What do you do? My station in life is making YouTube videos. I, of course, have a personal life as well. But uh, <laughs> as, as far as uh, what uh, people would find interesting, I spend a lot of my time reading books, making videos, so I can spend a lot of time in the division of voluntarist labor. A uh, lot of time reading books, summarizing them, making them easy. I know not everyone has the time to read Man, Economy, and State and <laughs> Uh, Robert Murphy's summary is 200 pages long. That's how long <laughs> Man Economy and State is. Um, and but it's then, really light reading, right? It's kind of it's, just a bunch of little lighthearted <laughs> memes, right? <laughs> Not hardly. You know, it, it, I, I think lighthearted memes is what uh, what gave me the motivation to finally read that stuff because I could scroll through the memes and just let hours go by. And then I'd be like, you know, I really could have gotten a bite on human action. I have no excuse at this point. So, um, so, so, so once I realized how much uh, how much time I was spending on things that didn't matter, you got to buckle down and read uh, some of those great ones. And oh, does it pay off? It's so rewarding. You know, I found that I'd been quoting G. Edward Griffin for years and years and copying quotes and posting them. And I thought I knew all about uh, the creature from Jekyll Island. And then a couple of years ago, I finally read. And when I say read, I listened to it on Audible cover to cover. And wow, it's a whole nother thing. And, and I noticed that with a number of of liberty related books. Spe speaking of which, how long have you been in the uh, the liberty movement? How did you get interested? Uh, as a matter of fact, let me ask you this. How did you become a voluntarist? I became a voluntarist uh, when I moved politically from being a conservative. I originally started as a progressive, seeing government as sort of the mechanism through which we can achieve desirable ends. And then I went to Sedona. I was like 12 years old and as beautiful as Sedona is, and I love it today, when you're 12, it's like TV or talking to the grandparents. <laughs> and they were the ones who uh, got me interested in supporting Barack Obama. And I was very in on supporting Barack Obama, first black president. This was both a social move forward and an economic move forward. What could go wrong? So they were always saying like, you know, poor Obama, now that he's in there, can't get anything done because guys like Glenn Beck are out there. And um, and if it wasn't for the Glenn Becks of the world, poor victim Barack Obama would be able to really close Gitmo and end the drug war and end qualified immunity. So I go, I got to see what this evil 
racist, tyrant, Nazi Glenn Beck has to say. And his principled argument against the Affordable Care Act was that it was wrong to force someone to purchase something they didn't want to. So there was, it was referred to as the single mandate, the purchase mandate. Do you remember what it was? I don't. It, what it, what uh, a ridiculous it, idea that you shouldn't force people to buy. Uh, so <laughs> so uh, part of the legislation was, well, we have to have everyone buy in and there has to be a tax or penalty for those who don't chip in. And Glenn Beck said, this is totally unjust. Maybe it's bad for you. Maybe it's good for you. Your body, your choice, your money, your choice, your life, your choice, your business, your choice. If you want to skydive, ah, uh, that seems incredibly risky or fly a plane or drive a car or eat unhealthy foods or not exercise or just watch dumb TV all day. But in the end, it's your life. That argument very much resonated with me. Now, I'm ashamed to say it took me about six years to take that argument and apply it consistently because all I did was take that, apply it consistently, and you realize the state is illegitimate. What I, of course, am talking about here is an organization that claims the right to initiate aggression against peaceful people. There's an institutionalized recognition of their right to do so. So even though it is no different in principle than me simply robbing you if I have pub popular opinion behind me, the problem with the state is people have a double standard where they don't see the aggression as aggression. They see it as, well, the result of history and a mechanism for us to achieve our ends. We know the government is inherently unjust because if any other organization were to do what the government does every day, tax, which is a code word for theft, regulate, which is a code word for violently dominate, foreign policy, which is code for arming terrorists, creating enemies, and justifying mass murder. If anyone else did that, we, of course, would see them as evil tyrants. But when the state does it, we justify it. So all I'm really doing here is embracing the self-ownership principle and applying it to all groups, whites, blacks, men, women, government, Walmart, Amazon, Congress, police, military, U.S., Russia. All these groups are just arbitrarily different groups. So if we have principles that we can consistently justify, just as the scientific method we'd want to consistently justify, we apply them universally, then the state is ended. The problem, of course, is not um, some people in Washington. In the last few years, we've lost, um, who is it? Zbigniew Brzezinski, David Rockefeller, John McCain, and Bush Sr. And the state hasn't shrunk. Why the heck is that? <laughs> the most evil people died. We should have won by now. Well, the problem is not uh, some people in suits thousands of miles away. The problem is people erroneously believe this group of people called the Congress group has the right to rule. And soon it might be the World Health Organization group. So again, it's not about picking on the people in the Capitol building. It's about embracing a principle and applying it consistently. You know, it does seem to me, and I, and I look at the foundation of how people become voluntarious, and so much of it does come down to that intellectual consistency of saying, hey, I can be wrong. I'm looking, I'm, I'm hoping you can prove me wrong because this is an uncomfortable position to have. So please do prove me wrong. I'm open to it. But I'm going to consistently look at each thing that you bring to me. I'm going to apply a, a, an honest measuring tape to it. And I've got to be honest in my words. And as you say, taking something from somebody without their permission is theft. And putting fancy words on it is, is unfortunate. Well, 
And you were mentioning too that you provide uh, producing YouTube content, and I, I actually found you on Odyssey, uh, O D Y S E E, which is kind of the new YouTube that's taking them over uh, faster than I was have thought they could have. So that's I'm I'm putting a lot of my focus there. But I saw you there, and I see how much content you're putting out, and I'm thinking, how did I never hear this guy? I've been in the voluntarist movement since 2008, and why did I just a month or two ago? start bumping into you when I subscribe to you. But wow, thanks for producing all of that. What's what's your goal? What's your ultimate goal? You know what? I never had a goal. It was just, um, I forget why my initial reasoning. I think I was so blown away when I read a book titled The Most Dangerous Superstition by Larkin Rose that I said, you know, I know that there's already an audio book out there, but it's a one 10 hour block. So what I did was I uploaded each chapter individually because I think, you know, people would click on something that's four to nine minutes that they're not familiar with. 10 hours and 16 minutes. I'm not sure that uh, that, that that would get a lot of clicks. So I uh, just made the audio for every chapter individually of that book, read it and made a video and put it on YouTube, and then started getting into contact with people who were, um, who I was like, hey, I'd love to interview you as a compliment to this, um, or to compliment rather, this large scale of information. Maybe you could clarify a few things Rose doesn't go over, because as great as the book is, it just, it can't go over everything, and it's more philosophical than empirical. So I have had someone like Ed Stringham on. And then I go, well, maybe I could get Jeffrey Tucker on. And then maybe I could have a discussion with Tom Woods and then Bob Murphy and uh, Don Boudreau. And it just snowballed. And next thing I know, I'm just making videos regularly, uh, along with people at uh, the Libertarian Institute, where I am a contributor, uh, along with uh, the Liberty Weekly podcast. So it just snowballed. It was never a plan. And I don't know if I have a stopping point. If I run out of ideas, I will just stop. I'd rather I'd rather quit while I'm <laughs> relatively ahead than I have to keep putting stuff out just to get clicks. I'd rather put out, you know, 500 things that are worth watching than 10,000 things that's just so cluttered. You don't uh, you don't know where to start. Yeah. Well, you have just been putting out so many good things. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. Uh, and I don't represent the the movement, obviously, but from this one guy and, and my grandkids who live in Tucson, thank you for making the world a better, a better place in the future or for making actions now that would lead it to be. Um, so you mentioned the most dangerous superstition and um, that book, I mean, by the way, the whole free market intellectual property thing, I love it. Uh, it back in 2016, I think, I introduced Steve Thomas, who's in uh, Tucson, to Larkin down at uh, Anarcapoco in, in Mexico. And Steve had converted a room of his house to a recording studio just because he thought the most dangerous superstition was so important that it needed to be professionally recorded. So he did the whole book and basically handed it to Lark and he said, oh, no, I don't need any royalties. No, it's just, it's yours. And then you read the whole book. And then uh, recently Patrick Smith with Disenthrall, he recorded the whole book and got it onto uh, Audible. And I just love how all of us, we see something good and we go, hey, we're going to, in our own way, share it and may the free market, hopefully everybody gets a ton of clicks and sales and such. But that is just, that is just incredible. Beyond most dangerous superstition, 
I love that book. <clears throat> I generally say that yeah, between that one and For a New Liberty are kind of my two, if I could save a book from burning, uh, if there's going to be one book left in the world and I could save one, I, it'd be kind of a tough call between those two. However, your normal aunt who votes and is a law-abiding, proud voting citizen who sometimes watches sports ball and has never really gotten into intellectual stuff, I can't hand the book to her. Larkin is in your face. Here's what stupid people just don't realize. And, and of course, we love it because we have our minds open to it. For the normie, for your aunt, my aunt, what book have you found that is the best introduction? Soft and easy. The summary of the most dangerous superstition called uh, What Anarchy Isn't by Larkin Rose. It's a 20-page uh, little pamphlet. I bought, I think, 100 of them and dispersed them around Arizona in, library, in libraries. And I left a couple at, in a uh, bookstore uh, changing hands. Uh, I don't know if that's uh, a large scale, but a lot of used bookstores have like a, these are the free books. They're so beaten up. But they're not worth taking to the checkout. Just take them, get them right. off our hands. Uh, I, I put a lot of them there. So yeah, it's like 25 pages or something. And it's a small little book this uh, the, this thick. Um, that is uh, probably the, uh, the, the best one. The other one, Anatomy of the State, is also a uh, great Rothbard introduction. Yes. So, um, what Anarchy Isn't is basically an understanding of what the word means. So there's an organization, C4SS, Center for the Stateless Society, who likes to constantly trigger uh, the right libertarians and say things like, we love Antifa because they're anti-fascist and we're anti-fascist. And then they get us on some sort of technicality, even though they're associating themselves with BLM and this sort of thing. The reason we know that they're still allies, people like Gary Chartier, uh, Sheldon Richman, who I also work with at the Libertarian Institute, so probably shouldn't be bad-mouthing C4SS. <laughs> um, uh, Sheldon Richman, those guys have uh, done a lot of great work. And the reason that I know that they're allies is because whenever I say I love capitalism and they say capitalism is the root of all evil, if we define our terms, we're able to agree. What they mean is Thomas Hodgkin's original idea that people who tended to own capital use the state to rule over other people. And I'm totally against that. Mm -hmm. Of course, when I advocate capitalism, I'm advocating a social system based on the explicit recognition of private property and non-aggressive contractual exchanges between private property owners and self-owners. People have to first own their bodies. Uh, everyone does before they have the right to acquire property. The reason that's important is because the book, What Anarchy Isn't by Larkin Rose, just defines the term. It's 25 pages. And once you understand the definition, well, then you can't be manipulated anymore. Because if you say, I believe in government, well, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. But if you're able to distinguish government, a group of people that have the right to initiate aggression against peaceful people in such a way that no one else in this geographical area has a right to versus governance, uh, which uh, book Edward Stringham's Private Governance published by Oxford, by the way. We have an anarchist book published by Oxford. I think How neat is that? <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's this, and Cambridge, uh, Anarchy Unbound by Peter Leeson was uh, published by Cambridge. So slow progress. 
but um, but governance, um, if you are thinking about a society in which there are rules that are uh, enforced by contracts and people often disassociate and people often will um, in, uh, use things like credit scores or things like Yelp or communication mechanisms to tell you, hey, Shep, make sure you're not associating with person X. He's a thief. That sort of reinforcement is what is commonly referred to as governance. The difference being no group has the right to rule anyone else, and there's no double standard. People have the right to contract, people have the right to trade, and everything else. If you don't understand, though, then you're just setting yourself up to get manipulated. That is why What Anarchy is is such a good book, and why Anatomy of the State is so good, because he says, what is this thing, the state? Um, It's a group of people that gives us education. Well, no, because then the Catholic Church gave me education. There's a Jewish temple that educates people. Are they government? Well, no. Uh, it's the people who, pr- it's it's the people who protect us because because government is police and police are protection. Well, no, because then anyone who owns a gun and protects you, or if your dad protects you, then they're government. It's like, what the, what the heck is this thing? What is the anatomy of this thing that we're trying to critique? And he says, far from being the result of popular consent of course it's not consensual or else their funding would be voluntary and you would just voluntarily associate with them just like you do uh staples or walmart or uh the blue microphone <laughs> blue yeti microphone company um he get he really gets at the heart of it and he comes to the conclusion that it's a group of people who claim the right to initiate violence who have a monopoly on initiating violence he misses one qu- quick little thing that is clarified in a book titled A Spontaneous Order, the Capitalist Case for a Stateless Society by Chase Rachels. So what one thing Rothbard misses, but I mean, it's so brilliant that you don't uh, catch that he misses it. If I own a house, uh, I have a monopoly on the house and I have a right to uh, unilaterally make rules in my house. If I start selling things out of this, it's a business and I have a monopoly on this business that might technically apply to his definition. The correction, the one addition that he should have made is the state claims the right to make rules with property that they have not uh, acquired through voluntary exchange or original appropriation. That is the difference between me making rules at my house and me making rules at your house. I have the right to unilaterally make them. Uh, I don't have the right to unilaterally make them for Arizona, not just because Arizona is big and my house is much smaller than Arizona, (laughs) because I haven't contracted with these people. I don't own their bodies. I didn't uh, appropriate the property either myself or through contractual exchanges with other people. So that's why I love to hand those out because they're, they're so, um, they're so approachable. What, uh, what anarchy isn't is super thin and anatomy of the state is, uh, is also pretty thin. Those are the best introductory books, but I know if I name two, people are less likely to get it. If I had to pick one, what anarchy isn't by Larkin Rose. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Uh, And I am actually, uh, I have rewritten that and it's being edited right now. And then I'm going to run it by Larkin and see if he wants to be attached to it or not. I'd love to run it by you as well. Um, And I'm making it even softer. Instead of most people don't understand, I'm making it about me. And I'm hoping I can make it be something that I could give my aunt that's even kinder and gentler um, and get people who who maybe aren't computer programmers, which 
interestingly enough, have you noticed this at libertarian conventions and such? I remember coming to one of Ernie's things in uh, Phoenix back in 13 or 14. And I, I kind of dawned on me that you can almost at a, at a libertarian, and of course I use libertarian, the small L, uh, not the capital L that believe in a, a high percentage of liberty, but not all of it. But I, when you walk up to somebody at a libertarian convention, you can almost say to them, hi, I'm Shepard. What, what do you do in the computer or engineering field? Yeah, <laughs> it seems that 70 or 80 percent. And I, I wonder if it's because the people in those fields, their job is putting a series of things together. And if you do that properly, it equals another thing. And you might not want eight lines of code to do a certain thing. But if that's how you type it in, that's what happens. It's very mathematical, very engineering, very physics, very hard science oriented. It's not a foo-foo emotional thing. And I wonder if that's why 70, 80% of the people in the voluntarist and the anarcho-capitalist communities seem to be somehow closely related to programmer, computer tech, this, that. Have you, have you noticed the same thing? Yes. Now, I don't know if it's because they're good with computers, so instead of watching the mainstream corporate press, they watch things on YouTube where you're more likely to get diverse opinions, where uh, good ideas are more likely to outshine bad ideas in that sector, or if it's because, you know, of course, the self-serving bias says, well, they're so logical and our position is so <laughs> logical that, of course, they do. But then you could just say, well, a lot of doctors tend to be statists, and that's because they like helping people and making them better. <laughs> so that's why the state helps people and makes them better. I, I, I get that that could be sort of twisted anyway. But I mean, certainly, of course, uh, the, the uh, best contribution to uh, the movement, I think, has been from a computer um I think he's a computer scientist, Jeremy Kaufman, who started Odyssey and Library. I mean, this is the great alternative to uh, YouTube where we can archive our videos. It's Yes, it has problems. It's constantly improving. I mean, if you look at where it was six months ago. So I'm so glad we have uh, those types of, uh, of people. I certainly hope it has something to do with logic, but whether it does or it doesn't, we're still right about uh, <laughs> about the foundations of voluntarism and freedom and uh, how uh, society should be organized. That's so great that you're honest about that. You find the nuances and the bias. That's a, that's a good thing. Uh, so uh, another question. We don't, obviously, you and I are both uh, voluntarist content producers, as is Patrick Smith and Larkin Rose. And as the years go by, more and more people. Boy, back in the day, pre-2010, everybody knew everybody. And now I'm constantly like, whoa, who's this guy? Skyler from Everything Voluntary? Whoa, who's this Kaysen Bryden guy? I'm like, who are all these people? Who's Keith Knight? Holy cow, it's wonderful. Who are your favorites? Who do you actually, like, you don't listen to me because we both read the same books and know the same stuff. It's just regurgitating stuff. Who do you, who do you enjoy listening to? Well, uh, Skyler's book, Everything Voluntary, was excellent. There are two uh, articles in there. One is called Fundamentals of Voluntarism, and the other is called Coercivist versus Voluntarist. I believe that that, uh, that that both of those are in there, and that uh, th that was an excellent book. I love showing that one off. It has a nice black and yellow cover and everything. Um, 
the my favorite people to listen to as far as speeches go it would be uh tom woods this is a, a professor of oh gosh i don't know what he got his major in he's a yeah. uh, phd from columbia as well as harvard so it's always nice to have uh people like that um he's a great speaker excellent communicator he's great at communicating ideas like antitrust uh, along with uh, guys like Tom DeLorenzo. So there is an idea that, um, well, if people are free to do things, some will rise above the other, whether because they're so good or because they use sort of, you know, slimy means to get to the top. And then once they're at the top, they will exploit the rest of us. Tom DeLorenzo then wrote a essay on this actually looking at the historical data of whether or not this happens, turns out it doesn't. It's a complete fabrication. It's in a paper called The Myth of Natural Monopoly. In order, now, the guy who was great at communicating the ideas is Tom Woods, who's like, could you imagine going to your boss and saying, hey boss, what we're gonna do is we're gonna lose tons of money for decades, but then we'll have a market share and then we're really gonna jack the prices up, but don't worry, no one will come in even when there's high prices and outcompete us. The ability to convey how ridiculous some of these wide held beliefs are is so vitally important because it's intimidating. You don't have the social proof as Robert Cialdini, the psychologist would call it. It's like, I've never heard this idea and just some guy is telling me all these economists and all these historians and all these politicians and all the people in the media are wrong. No, I think I'm going to go with him. But when you hear guys like Tom Woods and Dave Smith, uh, host of Part of the Problem podcast on the Gas Digital Network, uh, along with uh, Louis J. Gomez uh, founded this podcast. uh, the gas digital network Gomez and Sons, and then Dave Smith was a friend of his and just started making a podcast, and it's just a libertarian podcast. So even though Gas Digital is not a voluntarist organization, we still have uh, you know a, a foot in that door. You have people like Michael Malice, who I think are really good, even though he is a total weasel and jerk to his audience. We'll have people uh, we'll just laugh when people spend time watching his stuff and he doesn't give them the content he promised them or he'll, uh, you know, not, um, uh, not answer questions, uh, super chats that people pay for and think like that's funny or something. Um, uh, or when he answers a question, he won't do it. So uh, I only say that because as much as I like malice, don't give him money to, <laughs> and, and have no standards for when you watch any of his stuff. I don't want people to say, Hey, you recommended this guy and he's a jerk. <laughs> uh, what's that say about your judgment? Uh, I like the guy for a select few reasons, but uh, but Malice is great. My uh, colleagues at the Libertarian Institute, um, uh, Patrick McFarlane runs a show, Liberty Weekly. He is a practicing attorney, uh, so he's great with stuff regarding the law. My uh, friend Pete Quinones also uh, works there. He is great with uh, interviews and uh, really getting to the heart of uh, people's work and a lot of their contributions in his show, Free Man Beyond the Wall. And then we have uh, Sheldon Richman also there. He wrote a great book called What Social Animals Owe to Each Other. This is a collection of essays he has written. And gosh, he was a libertarian in like the 60s. Um, I know that he met Mises. I'm not sure uh, if he knew guys like Rothbard or anything. 
I uh, I really like uh, reading some of Sheldon Richmond's old stuff just because it's so it's two or three pages, you know, each chapter in that uh, What Social Animals Owe to Each Other book. That is, uh, I just love reading that uh, even to this day. And then the other uh, uh, main two guys we have at the uh, Libertarian Institute are Kyle Anzalone and Scott Horton, who, I mean, they have contributed so much to the uh, knowledge of foreign policy that people have. That, I mean, that there's just no comparison. Scott Horton wrote a book called Fool's Errand Time to End the War in Afghanistan and Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. Some of the greatest archive work. I've had Scott on my show, I think, 16 times now. I have a playlist and we still have not gotten to all my questions. I have a Scott Horton <laughs> list of questions and then we get down and then I see something and then it gets bigger and then, and then I got to start at the top again. So uh, I'm so grateful to uh, be working with guys like Kyle, Pete, uh, Patrick and uh, Scott at the Institute. That is what I spend a lot of my time uh, listening to um, other than that people I click on immediately. I like clicking on Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro and Jimmy Dore because they have such a streak of you know, being able to uh, question uh, common orthodoxies or go against the grain in, uh, in one way or another that I really see their audience as really someone we can um, get along with. Just as I see Jimmy Dore's audience as a, a, a very fertile ground for us to uh, make alliances on. There was an excellent uh, paper written in 1990 by Hans Hermann Hoppe titled Marxist versus Austrian class analysis. And it's the longstanding exploitation debate, what you could say is the Marx versus Mises exploitation debate of the Marxist sees the exploiters and the exploited, a select few and the masses. Well, the voluntarists see the same thing. And it's not just a private public difference. It's a lot of people in the private sector. Hey, Frank Vanderlip talking about how he started the Federal Reserve with his buddies on Jekyll Island at J.P. Morgan's place. So it's not private. It's not public. Um, the Marxist says that the exploiters are people who often engage in investment and are the entrepreneurs and the capitalists. That is not accurate. The actual exploiters are people who don't engage in voluntary contracts, who act unilaterally against the will and property of others, people who don't produce, they consume in the absence of voluntary exchange. You could, I mean, ideally just receive charity your whole life, or I mean, I guess being a stay-at-home parent is consuming, but you're also producing a, you know, a family to raise. So even though it's not monetary, it's still in line with the self-ownership principle. So we can still find great agreements with even people that we would consider far left. Granted, they just have to admit they're wrong and sort of and come to our side because you have the right to produce and you have the right to contract. It's not exploitative if you give someone the option to work for you or else. I mean, imagine what they're really saying. They're saying it's bad to give someone the opportunity to have a job, but me Antifa, who gives no one an opportunity and offers only the sound of economic illiteracy, well, I'm great. I'm uplifting the social masses and I'm part of the proletariat movement. No, <laughs> you're the parasite, the business owners, the producers, the investors, the voluntary innovators. Those are uh, the people that uh, make things uh, so great in life. So 
my long annoying answer there is that <laughs> those are the, con- the those are the uh, content people that I like watching, both in our community and people sort of on the fringes who we can find a lot of alliances with. Wonderful. Thank you for that list. I, I think that'll be something that I will go back to over the years and and looking, oh, you know what, I should look up this name. I've never heard of this person and, and get a little bit of their content. Uh, what about community? And, and I don't mean this in the communitarian Agenda 21 kind of way, but beyond interviews and such, it's a, it's a lonely world if you look at the people that live to the left of your house and to the right of your house and across the street and you take the 500 people surrounding you, of those 500 people, probably one or two at most, in addition to you, get it. And I'm, I'm doing my air quotations. They actually get it. And that kind of makes it for being a little bit lonely. And so I have over the years, you you know, you go to a convention once a year and you watch videos and and you are on the book of faces uh, well, until float came along and floats a lot better now, F-L-O-T-E, uh, but any social media network. Where do you go? What do you do to find fellowship with community? As mushy as that sounds. Yeah. So uh, I use um, Facebook and Minds and uh, library. And I, of course, respond to direct messages on Twitter at AN underscore capitalist. I also have a locals channel. They are a group that is competing with uh, Patreon. I had trouble getting my account up, but the point is, is it's good to have people subscribe to me there. I got, uh, I've only posted like once or twice, but the point is, is if I go down somewhere else, I still have a backup. So Locals was created by Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson after Jack. Oh God, what is Jack's? The guy from Patreon. So it's not Jack Dorsey. It's Jack, um, whatever. uh, They had um, banned Sargon of Akkad for something totally ridiculous. In response to that, Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson created um, their own sort of Patreon, Locals.com. And people like uh, Scott Adams are there. Michael Malice is there. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard is there. Dr. Drew. Um, gosh. It's it's a little early for me to remember all the yeah, names. Yeah. But uh, places like MeWe, M-E-W-E. Now, granted, these places are getting corrupted quick. I mean, just like uh, so much of every uh, every other aspect of uh, power centers that, uh, that that people flock to. So it's um, it, it's really difficult, but it's mostly being diversified. So I'm on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, MeWe, BitChute, Minds, Archive.org. I'm on the Libertarian Institute. I have an email address people can get a hold of me of. I am pretty loose with my uh, phone number once I get to know someone. So uh, just having people like that um, it really is uh, it is good. As far as people, um, I know th- there's something I'm looking into called Freedom Cells with John Bush and Derek Bros are constantly uh, promoting that. I'm also on the One Great Work Network, a website started by Mark Passio. We have about gosh, how many is it? 40 content creators on there now. So uh, just having that community, it's much more online and over the phone than it is uh, physical, just because um, even with uh, the uh, work at home policies of uh, 2020, I don't uh, really run into uh, the the same coworkers I did before. And by the time I'm out, I just want to talk about 
modern family and everybody loves Raymond and I want to take it easy. I don't want to, I don't want to be, I, I, as much as I love this work, I'll be damned if it runs my entire life. Well, I should learn that lesson. <laughs> it has certainly <laughs> come to dominate mine for some time. Um, yeah, and there, and I'll in the show notes, uh, I'll include down in the description here. Uh, I'll include that locals, and then also another thing I've just in the last month or so gotten into is uh, Matrix, which I, I'm an old fogey, so I don't know any of the the gamers stuff. But Disenthrall uh, Me has a, a Matrix server, and I, I'm on there and just listening to these brilliant people who are usually I'm the smartest guy in the room when I'm with a bunch of normies, but I love going to places where I'm the dumbest guy in the room. And I just listen and learn. Isn't that refreshing when, when you have your mind blown by something and you go, wow, I thought I had that. I thought I had it. And now I've just been proven wrong. I love, I love that growth. Uh, it's about it's really about appreciating the division of labor that Mises uh, was writing about many decades ago. You probably, if you're a voluntarist, only got there because you were willing to question meta narratives and admit you're wrong. That alone is going to make you the smartest person with regard to economics, history, politics, and philosophy. But you have a lot to learn in I don't know computer and television and ethics and. Uh, well, not ethics, you're already a pro in that, um, and, and things like uh, emotional maturity and how to grow a business. So if we're both able to humble ourselves to listen to others, we can also lead by example um, and show people, hey, you know that it's okay to not know anything, to not know something about. Uh, I go to the cockpit of a plane and I know nothing and the pilot knows everything and we're able to get along. He gets me there. I give the company money who gives him a plane. He drives me there and we all get along fine. So Mr. Statist, I've spent (laughs) a lot of time uh, researching the uh, Great Depression of 1929 and no, Herbert Hoover was not an isolationist. He tripled spending and uh, the New Deal was actually written by the Hoover administration and enforced by Franklin Roosevelt's administration. It's okay that you don't know that, (laughs) or the fact that FDR had an uh, agreement with Churchill that he was going to provoke the Axis powers into attacking in August of 1941, published by the New York Times an article, War Plans, uh, War Entry Plans Laid to Roosevelt, January 2nd, 1972. It's okay that you don't know that, but don't go around having an opinion as though you and I are on the same level because I've taken the time and you haven't. And that's okay. Whoever made this printer right here, he should do all the printing and I should do all the consuming. I should do the political talking and you should do (laughs) the observing. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with, um, hey, doctor, um, you've given thousands of surgeries, but I haven't given any. Let's, Let's make this more equal. No, allow him to specialize and then trade. Same thing with political knowledge. There's nothing wrong at all. In fact, it's sometimes good because it's less stressful to not know about uh, the politics of uh, of everyday life because it can be um, uh, <laughs> pretty uh, d- discouraging over time. So it's okay. We can lead by example and learn from other people. But yes, I absolutely know what you mean about learning from others. Yeah, it's 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 such a fun process. Um, 
one other thing I was thinking about it is uh, recently my wife and I have been doing our, our living trust and we've been allocating things and, and this is part of actually a, a new thing she has created called microcfile.com. So when you die, do people know what you want and in, in your final days and such. So we're going through this whole thing and I want to leave a portion of our estate to voluntarism to the promotion of voluntarism. And it is such a challenge because all of the personalities that I know, I we're just humans. And who knows if your new interest is going to be seasteading, which I think is awesome. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. However, it's not where I want to put all of my future money. And I look, and the closest I can find is something like Cato, which certainly isn't voluntarist, or Mises Institute, which still has, uh, I'd say they're closer to anarcho-capitalism, but they haven't, they're not officially all the way to voluntarism. What have you, uh, have you discovered any organizations that kind of do the sifting and shaking and, and make sure all is well toward voluntarism? So uh, the Libertarian Institute, I'm trying to think of who's there. So it's Scott Shel uh, Scott Horton, Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Pete Quinones, uh, myself, and Patrick McFarlane. Uh, we do have other people like Year Zero uh, is also on there along with the writings of uh, Will Grigg. We are all voluntarists. And if you check out the Libertarian Institute, there is pl you you'll never get to the bottom of the Oklahoma City bombing, let alone read the entire uh, voluntarist archive that we have there. That, uh, as far as organizations go, and I do think uh, the Mises Institute would be fully in line with voluntarist uh, ethics and uh, and ideals. It is hard to sort of bridge the gap between where are we now, how do we get there, and what do we want? Because, I mean, if you want something that might, uh, to, to get there, might involve some sort of secession. And would I rather there be 50 competitors than one monopoly in America? Yes, yes, I would rather there be, even though a lot of the time all the governors are on the same page. At least we get the Ron DeSantis's of the world, who it, one out of 50 is better than zero out of 50, as sad as it sounds. <laughs> so you'll get people like the Mises Institute sort of justifying you know, uh, the, the actions of whatever a state may be doing, or uh, I know that Tom Woods will uh, praise Ron DeSantis because the problem is things can sometimes get so bad that a guy like Ron DeSantis is actually good. Um, so uh, that's why it might not seem like the Mises Institute is totally there, but they have all they have all the material. Lou Rockwell writes uh, against the state. Is that the name of his book? Uh, Hans Hoppe, unapologetically anarcho-capitalist, along with Rothbard. And, uh, you know, certainly even uh, people like Henry Hazlitt and Ludwig von Mises spoke highly of man, economy, and state when Rothbard had uh, had published it. So Mises Institute, definitely on our team. Um, places like, um, I guess the Dollar Vigilante would be, you know, that would cover Berwick's whole anarchist and voluntarist organization. Uh, the One Great Work Network uh, is a group of natural law voluntarists. Um, we're still pretty new. We just went live February 2nd. So that was oh, only great, a couple of weeks ago, but we, we got a ton of material there and we're still just getting to know each other. But we had a meeting. Everyone got along. I think it's uh, going to go pretty well. But, you know, if I had to say one organization, it's the one that um, th that I am uh, working with uh, the Libertarian Institute. So uh, 
Uh, yes, please, uh, p- please put us in your will, everyone. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. You mentioned Will Griggs. It was one of my foot in the mouth moments. I was at, uh, at one of Ernie Hancock's uh, events in, in Phoenix, and we're sitting at the table and Larkin Rose is scheduled to do a debate in the next hour. And we're sitting there talking about how uh, just at our little round table about how nobody stands a chance against Larkin. Larkin is going to sweep the floor with whoever this Will Griggs guy is that he's going to debate. And we're going on and on about it, three or four of us. And Will was sitting there <laughs> and he was so such a gentleman about it. He just laughed and said, no, the guy's brilliant. He probably will. And then it turned out they they didn't have much to disagree about. It, you know, it turned out to be more of a dialogue. But uh, yeah, I was pretty embarrassed that I opened my big mouth and was saying he was going to get his get the floor swept. That was a pretty funny moment. Rest in peace, Will. Yes, absolutely. Rest in peace, uh, Will Gregg. Um, yeah, Larkin has uh, done a, a lot of great. Uh, one of my favorite debate moments was um, Tom Willicutt versus Larkin. And and Larkin had just beaten him down so much. I mean, Tom Willicutt's a guy with like, you know, PhDs. He's this attorney. So to see some guy who's just like on Skype uh, take him on uh, in the Tragedy and Hope, uh, Tragedy and Hope Richard Grove uh, hosted the debate, it kind of seemed like, you know, this brilliant intellect was just taking on your layman man in the street guy. So once they open their mouths, your minds are like blown. And Tom Willicutt is so beaten up that he just goes, yeah, um, you know, he's touching his face, he's moving around. He's like thinking of, oh God, how do, how do I get this point across? I've made it a few times. And he goes, you know what, Larkin, I just, I just don't trust people. And Larkin goes, what species do you want running the government? Like that. <laughs> and it's like, isn't that incredible that we've said, uh, I personally have said that a lot of times, you know, I, I, I'm not really a trusting guy. So that's why I think we need a government. What you're really saying is, okay, you, you don't trust people. You're very skeptical of a large, maybe most people. Therefore, a group of people have the right to coercively rule everyone else. I mean, that's literally like saying, I don't trust people. Therefore, the Koch brothers have the right to rule everyone. Well, aren't they people? And isn't that the worst situation if you could not trust people? It's literally, as Larkin says, it's like saying, I don't trust you as my neighbor. So I trust you as my master. Every criticism you have of people operating within a free society where there's a recognized natural law right of equality, voluntary exchange, applies tenfold. Yes, there can be evil and corruption and manipulation and greed, but the existence of a government not only doesn't stop that from happening, it amplifies this kind of thing from happening. Take, of course... I. I'm sorry I use this example so often, but Donald Trump really is the great example of the evil, predatory private sector. And as bad as he's, you know, the top 001% of all people on the planet Earth, he still was not nearly as dangerous as he was when he became president of America. And the American government is supposed to be like the limited government in the world. So even like the limited government and the uh, guy who was in the predatory private sector, well, everything is the opposite, just like they say. The public se- sector is where the real constant, pure exploitation exists. And far from being a small government, it just has a smaller portion of a much larger pie. So it's able to exploit that uh, that, that much more. But yeah, the idea that, well, uh, we'll get exploited by evil people. 
Maybe, but it's better that there's not a state for them to grab hold of than uh, for, for everyone to just recognize them as someone else who also has social status that we can voluntarily disassociate with at any time. Precisely, precisely. Well, what haven't I asked you today, Keith, that I should have? What else do we want to get out there? What do you What do you want folks to know? Um, that uh, you can't get obsessed with voluntarism. Read books like this, The Happiness Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt, to take a break, <laughs> to take a freaking break. Um, also, watch Everybody Loves Raymond, greatest show of all time. Make, <laughs> ma- make sure you've seen um, the middle seasons of Seinfeld, because that's really where where it hits off, along with uh, Family Guy. I recommend those just as much as I recommend things like uh, A Theory of Socialism and Capitalism by Hans Hoppe. Because as brilliant as those are, my gosh, one of these days we are going six feet in the ground. And to obsess, they already coerce us into associating with them. Don't voluntarily give them all your emotions as well. Uh, That is uh, the only thing you didn't ask me. Uh, what the greatest show of all time was. So there's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that is that is such a good reminder for me. I, I noticed that my mood changes so much when I when I consume a bunch of, this is what's wrong, this is why it's wrong. Ooh, look what else we found that's wrong. Ooh, look what else is scary that's going to happen. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's all true. But it's also a beautiful day out and the birds are chirping. And I have a friend I could go have coffee with if we're willing to wear face diapers. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. And uh, I would love it if you would come on and enlighten us again in the future sometime. And uh, as, as a final thing, uh, if people are going to go to Odyssey, O-D-Y-S-E-E, to find you, what words should they type in the search bar? Keith Knight, don't tread on anyone. Beautiful. I love it. Thank you, Keith. Take care, Shepard.